alleging the county clerk pressured jurors. Well, I am Nicole Burley. That's all for News Nation Now. We had a lot of breaking news today. Thank you so much for watching. We'll give you a look at our primetime lineup. But first, the biggest headlines out of our nation's capital, including the president's son's indictment. The Hill starts now. The president's son indicted. Hunter Biden now facing federal gun charges. What it means for the president's child, the first family, and the man who occupies the Oval Office while running for re-election. But you would have never known about any of it by watching President Biden earlier today. Instead, focusing on Bidenomics versus Maganomics. So what about that phrase, Maganomics? Coming up, you'll hear from one of our panelists who started embracing that term some six years ago. And in the history of the big three automakers, there has never been a simultaneous strike. But that all could change in just hours. We'll take you live to the Midwest to see how one town is bracing for a possible strike. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Busy day in the world of politics. Thanks for being here with us on The Hill. Once again, I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel. Michael Starr Hopkins is a Democratic strategist. Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. Mick Mulvaney, of course, the former Trump White House chief of staff and News Nation political and economic contributor. And David Drucker, senior writer for The Dispatch. Hello. Thank you all for being here. A lot to get into. We start tonight with charges now filed against Hunter Biden. A significant and serious step in the federal investigation of the son of the president of the United States. There are three felony gun-related charges, two counts for failing to disclose drug use when seeking to buy a weapon, one count for unlawful possession of a firearm while addicted to a controlled substance. They stem from Hunter Biden admitting he lied about his drug use when he purchased a handgun in 2018. Uh, This broke a few hours ago. Um... Mick, we'll start with you. How big of a deal is this? For Hunter or for the president? I think for the president... Let's go both. Yeah, I think for Hunter it's a big deal. Yeah. I think it is. These are serious charges. Keep in mind, one of the things that the Democrats especially talk about is the importance of background checks when you buy guns. And that's, that goes right to the, the heart of this matter. Uh, so I think it's a serious matter for him. I don't think it's that big a deal for, for Joe Biden because really? there's no connection between the two. Uh, I think the emails, uh, the pseudonymous emails are a much bigger deal for, for Joe Biden. The payments from the Ukrainians, if those exist, is a much bigger deal. But look, Hunter Biden had an addiction. He did a bunch of stuff that was illegal, apparently, according to these allegations. But I don't think there's any connection between him and the president on this direct. I was talking to a Democratic strategist today who said this is just a distraction. And I'm guessing the last thing, David, Joe Biden wants right now is another distraction as he runs for president. Well, look, the president's obviously going to be very concerned about his son. Um, and that's not a distraction that you that any president needs when when they're president. Right. I mean, you it, it is the toughest job in the world. He's staring down a very difficult reelection and he's now got to be very concerned about about his son. And he's also a father. And that would distract any parent no matter how old you are and how old your children are. As a political matter, I'm not convinced that Mick is necessarily right in, in this regard. Right? One of the things Joe Biden did, and we've talked about it, Blake, uh, when he ran in 2020, is say that, look, with me, the mess is over. Right? And you don't have to deal with all of this drama and all of this uncertainty. And with his son now under federal indictment, possibly going to trial next year in the middle 
in the heat of the general election campaign. There's a picture voters are going to see, which is obviously Trump's big mess, and it's a big mess and a big potential problem for him in a general election. But it allows Trump to to say that, look, I, I mean, me. Can you I, buy I'm that not, argument? Man? I'm not perfect, but 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 look at the other guy. He's got problems too. Republicans will will jump on this message. Democrats are concerned about it, even though you're yeah. right that it's until the, direct, the president is directly tied I, to a, to I a problem. I can see part of that. I can see part of you know you elected me because you wanted to get back to something that was normal. You want to get rid of the scandal and all that kind of stuff. So I, I see part of that. I guess the difference is the Democrats are making the case it was actually Trump who was causing all of the scandal. And I think parents will cut Joe Biden some slack because it's his son. It's, it's not exactly the same. I don't think you're wrong, um, but, but uh, that, I that could be an impact. Well, no, I mean, a question I have is how much do voters care about yeah. this? You know, when we talk about, you know, voters cutting them slack, I mean, Joe Biden, politically, I would say today, I mean, I think it happened as he was giving his speech, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, but he's doing what voters want to hear about, the economy, talking about the economy, whether you agree with that message or not, he's focusing on those kitchen table issues. The Hunter Biden stuff is so inside Washington baseball because it's happening, obviously, at a time when the impeachment stuff is uh, is taking place as well. So I think it's way over voters' heads to a certain degree. And I think at a certain point, every family has people uh, who suffer from addiction. I think we all know people who suffer from addiction. And I think it's time for Joe Biden in the White House to get in front of this, whether it's a sit down with Hunter and the press, whether it's Joe Biden giving a speech to the American public. About Hunter and this. the Joe Biden, Hunter and the press. Yes, I think this. I think it's like, time. what would that look like? I, I mean, you could do a 20, <laughs> 20, you could do a 60 minutes interview. You could they could find okay, an gotcha, outlet gotcha. where there's a friendly. How does he outlet. handle the uh, pardon question? Because he's going to start getting he, that he question. Can't, he's already said he's not going to pardon him. But okay. I think what you do is humanize this. And the more that Trump attacks this, I think the more he's going to turn off independence. Because when you look at the story, the facts, we've got 28 million Americans who have alcohol use disorder, 37 million, 37 million Americans who are illegal drug users, and 50% of people age 12 and over have illegally used drugs in, in their life. This is something we all have gone through. And so I think right. the White House would be smart to get ahead of this. Well, joining us now for more insight on the legal implications of all this, News Nation legal contributor and Law and Crime Network host, Jesse Weber. Jesse, thanks for being back here on the Hill. Hunter Biden's exposure here is what? First of all, Blake, I haven't seen you. Congratulations on the show. Um, Thank you. Appreciate his, it. His exposure is he's facing federal charges. And this is not a surprise. I don't think this was a surprise. When a deal breaks up, when a deal blows up, prosecutors are going to go forward with charges here. Now, these are significant charges in the sense that, you know, the, each one, the first two faced 10 years in prison. The last one's five years. Even if he's convicted, I don't think he's going to get anywhere near that. I will tell you, I think it is a bit unusual that he is being charged this way because typically somebody wouldn't face these standalone firearms charges. Usually somebody faces these charges as part of bigger crimes, as somebody who uses that weapon in some sort of act or if they have so you're basically saying weapons. he's being charged because his last name is a Biden is Biden. Did I did I say that Blake? I don't know if I said it. But look, it's a question that people are having, is it not? It's a fair question. So here's to have. here's here's Abby Lowell. Here's Abby Lowell, uh, Hunter Biden's attorney, quote in a statement today, quote, "The evidence in this matter has not changed in the last 6 weeks, but the law has and so has MAGA Republicans improper and partisan interference in this process. Hunter Biden possessing an unloaded gun for 11 days was not a threat to public safety, but a prosecutor with all the imaginable with all the power imaginable bending to political pressure presents a grave threat to our justice system. Do you think he's got a case there? 
That's a fair argument. And I'll get into the constitutional argument in a minute. But just saying if this went to trial, it's pretty straightforward. Even if you put aside the constitutional argument that he's mentioning, whether somebody who abuses drugs or has a drug addiction, should they not have a firearm? Do they not have a Second Amendment right? He still is accused of lying on the form and lying to the dealer. And that in and of itself could be a prosecution. That's relatively straightforward. But when he makes the point that this might be on politics and pressure on David Weiss to go after Hunter Biden, people are going to believe it. So there's obviously uh, the House of Representatives uh, looking into Hunter Biden and and President Biden, the impeachment inquiry, uh, so on down the line you could go. But now that there's um, a federal indictment against Hunter Biden, in a way, could that potentially be bad news for Republicans because now there's sort of a legal shield that they're working against or or does it not work that way? Not really. I mean, I kind of agree with Mick when he said there's a separation here. When you talk about impeachment, it's a more of a political process than a legal process. What is a high crime and misdemeanor? What is bribery? They're basically looking at any connection between President Joe Biden and his son's business dealings. The firearm charge, I think it's a separate issue. I don't think it's going to impact the idea of this impeachment inquiry. It just muddies the water. It makes it look worse for Joe Biden and from an optics point of view. Hey, Jet. Hey, Jesse, I got to run. But then there's also the tax issues. Is that a bigger deal potentially for Hunter Biden? So he is we're going to expect to see him charged in California, Washington, D.C. on those tax charges. That's going to be a separate case. It was originally part of one big deal, but it's going to be separate. It's another significant case. And we'll see where it goes. Yep. All right. Jesse Weber. Thank you. Well, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Good seeing you, Blake. Thanks so much. You too. All right. Democrats not reacting, uh, not racing rather to react publicly, at least not in mass to today's news. Congressman Eric Swalwell, a member of the Judiciary Committee, though, did send out this post saying, quote, let me get this straight. Hunter Biden has been indicted by Donald Trump's prosecutor. Nothing Republicans have alleged has been charged. And the only charge is for a crime Republicans don't believe should exist. What are we going to hear, Michael, from Democrats here? Is it is it that or is it Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are two totally separate things. Well, I think you're going to definitely see a separation of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. But I think you're going to hear the phase uh, selective prosecution a lot. I think you're going to hear criminalizing addiction because that's basically what the DOJ is doing. But you heard Jesse there say this is this is simple. This is a simple legal case. But I actually don't think I disagree with that. So I started out as a public defender in Manhattan. And I would argue this is a mens rea case, which means the state of mind. Most addicts don't believe they're addicts when they're in the middle of addiction. And so when he said on that form that he wasn't in the midst of addiction, he he of course he didn't think he was. And so I think there's going to be an argument to be made that how do you show that someone is in the midst of addiction without them being willing to admit? Is the fact that it deals with background checks, which is a big deal for the Democrats, does that sort of undermine that argument? I don't think so, because I think this is just going to be complicated. I think it's going to be a muddied water. If, if I'm a Republican, yeah. not, a, not a prosecutor, if I'm a Republican politician, what I'm saying is so what the Democrats really say is it's OK for addicts to have firearms. Well, I think then Democrats would say, I think we should strengthen background checks no matter what. Yeah. And this isn't a perfect example. But, but this is a background check that apparently... But it's a guy lied on why every year we should update background checks. Let me make a broader point that the president today was speaking about his economic agenda. And and job one in his bid to be reelected is to convince voters that he is doing the job they want on the economy. And we're talking about Hunter Biden and his legal troubles. And that is not where Democrats want to be. When I spoke to Democratic operatives, when we thought there was a plea deal 
to clear this off the books, there was not only a lot of relief that this distraction wouldn't exist, there was a sense that, that Democrats told me uh, in, in my reporting for the dispatch that we can now go forward and say, you know what, when we have a problem, we plea to it, we deal with it. Yeah. Donald Trump is fighting this tooth and nail, so are all of his co-conspirators, allegedly co-conspirators. But don't you think this inoculates the Biden administration no, a little bit? Because not at all because have- it's perception. It's perception about how people feel about him. Now, voters may decide ultimately, especially if this impeachment does not, in- inquiry does not dig up anything that can get them the four votes they need to actually impeach House Republicans. They don't dig anything up. I think this will start to look political and a lot of voters will say, okay, this is just a troubled kid. I mean, he's now 50 something years old, but it's a troubled son. And the president is dealing with things like millions of American parents have dealt with things. Exactly. But if we end up in a situation where the House Republican investigations are able to produce some real fruit, then all of a sudden this all starts to look problematic. Here's the question that's going to overhang for the president. Do you pardon your son? No. You absolutely cannot do that. It's a political killer. It's a well-connected politician doing something for his kid that millions of parents would love to do and can't. And this is just something he cannot you touch. You don't think he's going to pardon his son at some no. point? No. I'm not well, saying I don't think he'll, he'll do it, but never, he shouldn't do it. Not never. It, it would be after the next election. Keep in mind, uh, Clinton pardoned his brother, but it was yeah. on the way out the door. I yeah. can't remember what Jimmy Carter did with his brother. Mm-hmm. If he was, if, remember if it was actually a crime or if they caught him urinating in public. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could do after the next election that you can't do. Before. Biden's built a little different. Yeah, there's a midterm election in 2026. If if Biden wins re-election, this is not something. Maybe at the end of his term, right. if he wins a second term. All right. Well, for insight into how the White House may be reacting, we turn to White House correspondent for the Hill, Alex Gangitano. Alex. Uh, thanks for coming on in. The president giving that you know big economic speech today. He didn't mention anything. Business as usual, right? That's right. You know, and we're not really expecting to hear much from him. Back in June, when Hunter Biden uh, reached that plea deal that ended up unraveling on the gun charges and also the tax charges were uh, lumped in there, too. We heard from the president. He said, um, I love my son and I'm proud of my son. That's really the extent of what we will keep hearing from them. You know, the president has been um, open with saying, I'm proud of my son, that he got over. Uh, you know, he came to the other side of his drug addiction. Uh, they obviously are a very close-knit, protective family. So they're not coming out and wanting to talk about it much. But another yeah. part of this is that the White House wants to distance themselves from the Department of Justice from the special yeah. prosecutor because they don't want this to look like some sort of, you know, conspiracy that they're siding with uh, the Justice Department on this. But the president, Alex, you know, this will have to speak to this at some point. I mean, at some point he is going to the, the press shop can only sort of keep him away from reporters for so long. Right. Like at some point he is going right. to be before reporters. He's going to be asked about it and he is going to have to give some sort of an answer. And he is the one, as you know, Blake, when he's, you know, put on the spot by reporters or maybe at a fundraiser or something that he's a little more unscripted is when we'll hear from him, you know, not when it's so scripted with the press shop. So I think that he'll just keep the line of, you know, I'm proud of my son. um, And that, as you know, Michael was discussing, maybe we'll even hear the president say addiction hits a lot of American families. And please, you know, sympathize with us on this. The really sticky thing about this or one of the many sticky things about this is these are gun charges. The president tries to, you know, be the most pro-gun violence prevention president in history. Hmm. These are all charges that, you know, he would uh, be against anybody doing. Um, he's pushed for even stricter gun laws right. um, than we've already seen him pass. And so these are things I think he'll have to speak to the gun component, too, because of, of his agenda on that.
Very interesting. Friend of the show, White House correspondent for The Hill, Alex Gangitano. Alex, thank you. So how are Republicans responding to the indictment here? Some of them not too happy. For example, here's James Comer, head of the Oversight Committee, uh, sending out on social media, quote, saying it's a small start, but, quote, unless Weiss, David Weiss, special counsel, investigates everyone involved in the fraud schemes and influence peddling, it will be clear Biden's DOJ is protecting Hunter Biden and the big guy. Mick, what do you expect to hear from from Republicans? That, because they're trying yeah. to figure out a way to tie it to, 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 to Joe Biden, just the same way the Democrats are trying to tie the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, to Donald Trump on, on January 6th. It's like, okay, there's a lot of bad actors out there. How do we tie our political opponents to them? I, I, I don't know if you can do it on the drug charge, but again, I've said from the very beginning, I think this is the least of the Biden family's concerns. I think the emails are a big deal. The money's a big deal. People don't understand how somebody who's been in the Senate for his entire life can afford to live the lifestyle that Joe Biden has. There's a lot of money sloshing around that family. People are going to want to know why. I wonder what you make of what Vivek Ramaswamy, presidential candidate. <laughs> this is part of an effort to kick Biden out. Quote. I predict this is the first step for the Democratic Party managerial class to pressure Joe Biden out of the race. Biden will become a sacrificial pawn in service to the deep state that wants to keep power at all costs. Vivek Ramaswamy running uh, third slash fourth in the he Republican primary. He sounds like primary. a human Twitter GP. Like, <laughs> it sounds like chat GP. Well, Vivek GP. It's a quote Chris yeah. No, I mean, this is, I mean, look, Vivek Ramaswamy has been trying to, you know, paint the DOJ, obviously, as bias against Republicans. And this is obviously what he's trying to do here here and now. You're going to continue to hear Republicans, whether it's on the Hill or on the campaign trail, continue to say there's this double standard of justice that you see someone like Hunter Biden facing uh, versus what Joe Biden is facing. Like, like the, the, the fever swamps are funny because the DOJ and, and the media, of yeah. which I am a card-carrying member, we're simultaneously rigging the election for Joe Biden and rigging the election so we can get rid of Joe Biden and doing two of those things at once. Yeah, that's impressive. I hope I hope I get paid a lot of money. Here's where I think Republicans uh, risk really having a disaster. They're so focused on Hunter. The only people that really care about Hunter are already baked in Republican voters. Uh, independents are the ones they should be trying to convince. See, but that's where I come back. That's where I come back to what, what David said. That he's, he's sort of convincing me is that if you're selling normalcy, if that again, if you're going to run against Trump, let's assume for the sake the sake of this discussion, it's Biden against Trump in 2020. It was vote for me. I'm normal. He's not. That really, this does under. But Biden that. looks so like oatmeal. Yeah, but what about Trump's <laughs> legal issues? I yeah. mean, they both look abnormal. Which Walk. tends to turn <laughs> off voters, which drives down participation, Action. which. Gives Donald we Trump a huge works. advantage. 2016. Right. But coming up, seven hours to go before potentially a crippling auto strike. More than 140,000 workers are threatening to walk off the job in six hours and 41 minutes. We'll take you live to the Midwest coming up to see how one town is bracing for a possible shutdown when The Hill on News Nation returns. These negotiations are between the union and the companies. The White House knows the impact that this could have on the economy. And I think the whole country is going to be reminded once again about how the American auto industry is the backbone of the American economy. 
All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. That was the Democratic Congresswoman from Michigan, Debbie Dingell, who joined us here this time yesterday. Time, as you might know, is running out for the United Auto Workers Union and the big three automakers to come to some sort of a deal. Negotiators now have less than seven hours to reach a deal on a new contract. And if they don't work something out by then, roughly 146,000 workers could go on strike. Mick, this is something that President Biden has been involved in. For your former White House chief of staff, tell me what you think, what's going on right now inside the White yeah, House. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm struggling with this because I know exactly how Donald Trump would do it because I know his style. And his style was get these guys on the phone, bring them in. He, he wants to be the mediator. That's what he really And Debbie Dingell to told us that they were, that the president had been speaking to the CEO. Behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He, he'd, want, he'd want the big, pro, Trump would obviously want the ratings. He would have a, he'd come mm-hmm. to the White House, we're going to do it in public, and you're not walking out of the room until we get a debate. Would it work? I don't know, but that's the style. I don't know what Biden's style is. I just know that I don't know how he stomachs a, a, uh, a strike when he just was on record last week as saying he's the most pro-union worker, yeah. pro, pro, pro-union president ever. And what really bothers me, as a, from someone who's looking at the Democrats, not, a, not as a Republican, we talked yesterday about Michigan and the open Senate race there. Sherrod Brown has already got difficulty in Ohio. Ohio. Anyway, yeah. this is going to make it much worse. All right, well, let's go to Avon Lake, Ohio, real quick, the home of the uh, Ford Motor Company's Ohio assembly can- uh, plant. Between the Avon Lake plants and their plant in Brook Park as well, Ohio, Ford employs more than 3,000 workers in the general Cleveland area. Joining us now is the mayor of Avon Lake, Greg Zilka. Avon Lake, about uh, 30 minutes or so drive time west of Cleveland. Mr. Mayor, uh, thank you for joining us here on the Hill. Less than uh, seven hours. Yeah, you got it. Less than seven hours to go. I'm wondering if if you've maybe heard uh, where things stand. I have not heard since yesterday, and it looked pretty bleak last night, but we're still hoping that they can get a settlement. As Congresswoman Dingell said, uh, the auto industry has been the backbone of this part of the Midwest for a long time. We don't have as many Ford plants or auto plants around, but we do have one in Avon Lakes, which, by the way, we share with two other communities. It straddles three communities, Avon Lake, Sheffield Village, and Sheffield Lake. The vast majority of the plant, however, is in Avon Lake, the current plant, and employs over 1,840 jobs. Uh, Of course, everybody would like to see some sort of deal here come together, Mr. Mayor, as soon as possible. But let's just operate in the world for a second. That does not happen. What does it mean to your community? Well, it's it's going to be a bit of a bump for us. Uh, We certainly have to continue to provide the services that are uh, that our residents expect. We're a community of 25,000. We're a relatively affluent community, and we did pretty well last year uh, with our income taxes because many people continue to work from home rather than to uh, go to their offices five days a week in Cleveland. So we saw a bump in or an increase in the income tax. And so we have money that we can get through a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, but if it goes beyond that, it will be very concerning to us to take care of the services that people expect. You know, I just heard you say 25,000, right, give or so, uh, 1,600 yes. workers. That's a pretty pretty big uh, percentage in your community uh, that, that work there for Ford. I'm wondering, are, if things really go south here, are you terrified that, that Ford well, might pull out? Because of seniority, there was an enormous plant, a Ford plant to the west of us in Lorain, Ohio, it closed down in the early 70s. That had over 7,000 workers. Because of seniority, many of those workers bumped people uh, who would be working in the plant that uh, is now in Avon Lake. 
So the vast majority of the people are not Avon Lake residents, but they pay income tax to um, the city of Avon Lake. So it's an interesting quirk about that. Uh, more and more people are buying houses and moving to Avon Lakes, but it's still a vast majority live in the surrounding areas, Blue Collar, Lorraine, and uh, Elyria, and uh, northern Lorraine County. All right. Mayor Greg Zilka there in Avon Lake. Uh, best of luck to those in your community. Like I said, everybody wants to see this end one way or another and soon. Uh, I know it's a big deal throughout the Midwest, and we thank you for joining us here on thank the Hill. Thank you very much. Greg Zilka, thank you. All right. Uh, let's turn now to just down the road from us here in Maryland. President Biden giving a speech this afternoon hitting Republicans' economic policy. The president also highlighted the differences he sees between what he calls Bidenomics and what he's also calling Maganomics. What's Bidenomics? About investing in America. Investing in America and investing in Americans, American people. It's about growing the economy from the middle out and the bottom up instead of the top down. Because the country should know the facts. They should know the choice between Bidenomics and Maganomics. Look, their plan, Maganomics, is more extreme than anything America has ever seen before. Okay, so he- here's the issue for the president. New polling. The economy is, quote, 70% worse, Julia, 20%, 22% improving. Who do you trust more to improve the economy, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? 36% say Joe Biden, 47% say former president. Voters don't feel like the economy is improving. I mean, the Biden administration continuously points to lowering unemployment, which is a, you know, economic indicator and shows improvement, but inflation is still really high. Voters are here feeling that in their pocketbooks. Interest rates are still really high. So, I think it's difficult for voters to really understand why this is working, how this is working. And I don't think a message of we're doing the work, just wait and see, you know, stay patient. This is going to play pay dividends essentially going to work. I got to say, the only time I've ever wished I was a Republican is watching you guys do messaging because (laughs) you're fantastic at it. Say the same thing over and over and over again. And there is an echo chamber that repeats it. Democrats don't have that. But is it messaging or policy? Oh, you don't know. I I think it's messaging. We're a little too smart for our own good. (laughs) Ten word answers are not a Democratic way of messaging. But but, but is it messaging or policy here? I think it's messaging. I think when you look at the actual policy policy problem. No, I mean, if you look, the Democrats have added 12 million new jobs. 1 million in uh, manufacturing. We have the statistics to prove it. We just don't know how to talk about it. I just love the fact we're talking about maganomics because I tried that in 2017. <laughs> so here, hold on, hold on. Let me, show the, let me show the article. Let me show the article. We dug this up in 2017, July 2017. Uh, quote, top White House budget officials have scrapped the media's moniker for President Trump's economic plan, choosing maganomics over Trumponomics, explaining White House budget chief Mick Mulvaney said, quote, you know what's bigger than just this president? We're trying to make America great again. I tried so hard to sell this in the White House. <laughs> I had just been there. I only been there six months. When we tried hard, it was actually my, my comms team, John Zwartak, and a guy named Jacob Wood came I up remember. with this and brought it to me. I'm like, this is fabulous because it, it, it takes, even if you don't like Trump, you'd like the policies, right? So how do we get Trump out of it? We've maganomics. And listen, to this day, you talk about messaging. Look, I, I would love to do a blind test, okay? Bring a bunch of voters in and say, okay, let's do interest rates. Let's do inflation. Let's do gas prices. Goodness gracious, let's do wage growth. 
look, let's even do deficits now. Which of the two columns do you like? And I'm telling you, they're going to pick the Maganomics column every single time. So I'm glad we're having a conversation. I'm glad that Joe Biden finally brought back my. But why, why Maganomics and not Trumponomics? Like, why do you bigger? It was it was bigger than just Trump, right? Because we needed we wanted folks on the Hill to buy into it. We wanted folks uh, back home to buy into it. We were all trying to make America great again. And again, Trump, even though he won, wasn't thoroughly popular within the Republican Party. So he wanted something bigger than just him. And that was Maganomics. Biden and the Democratic National Committee has, have done you a solid because I, I they this. like MAGA messaging. They feel like it divides the Republican Party electorate. They feel like they feel like it turns off independent voters. And so even though it sounds pejorative and should Biden be alienating these voters, they think it works for them. Look, I think the biggest thing uh, politically when you're talking about the economy is not the indicators, right? By by almost every measure, inflation is still rough. Interest rates are still high. By, but by so many measures, the economy is super resilient and actually doing quite well. Most people are insecure about the economy and they don't think so. Even people that are doing well feel insecure about what their economic condition is going to be like months from now or a year or two from now. And as president, what, what Biden needs to do to put himself in a better position for re-election is give American voters more security about how things feel versus fixing this indicator or that indicator. Clearly, if interest rates dropped again, if inflation really went away again, that helps. But this is this is about psychology uh, more so than math. I agree with you a lot. And I will say that I think if Biden is to win a second term, he should follow Obama's second term election, which is he got access to funds early and used them all through the summer to define the Republican field. And it's why Mitt Romney was a joke in that election, because for six months, Democrats had a head start in defining him. We should do the same thing with Maganomics and make it a bad word. All right. Well, coming up, he dropped an F-bomb, speaking of bad words, in front of his colleagues today. There you go. Or let a word. I believe He's the House Speaker. (laughs) I believe Kevin McCarthy daring the far right to oust him as the Speaker of the House. So how heated did it really get? Speak to one lawmaker on the Republican side coming up. Welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. Tensions flared today among some House Republicans. In a closed-door meeting, the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy lashed out at conservatives who are demanding major spending cuts and pushing him on multiple fronts. McCarthy even dropping an F-bomb in that meeting, telling his colleagues he is not afraid of some conservatives threatening to bring a motion to remove him from the speakership. All this just two days after McCarthy announced the House's impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Joining us now is the Republican congressman from Montana, Matt Rosendale. Matt, thanks, uh, Mr. Congressman, I should say. Uh, Thank you for joining us here on the Hill. Uh, Appreciate the time. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, having some words. Did things just escalate among him and those who might want him out? Uh, I really don't think they have escalated. Uh, I think he's just starting to feel the uh, pressure right now because... Quite frankly, he hasn't done his job. Uh, we knew in January that we needed to produce the 12 appropriation bills. Uh, Kevin McCarthy said this is a new day in America, that we were going to produce the 12 appropriation bills. That is the proper way to fund government transparently and responsibly. And he hasn't directed the uh, appropriations committees to get that work done. It should have been done in June so that we could have sent it to the Senate 
uh, in July, they could have considered it, and we wouldn't find ourselves in this position. Blake, it, so it, it's really simple. We're going to collect about $5 trillion worth of revenue this year, and they want to spend about $7 trillion worth of revenue. And we yeah, already are $33 trillion in debt. Right. So I just heard you say that uh, Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, hasn't done his job. Does he deserve to still be the Speaker of the House? We're going to find out. Um, what I is your opinion? What is your opinion? That, I, know we'll find, I, I know we'll find out, but Congressman, if you, if you had to give a thumbs up or thumbs down vote, what would it be? Sure. What I will tell you is I do not like his leadership at all. And I will tell you that uh, we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks if he has to gather more Democrats to support his agenda than he does Republicans, then that demonstrates that that's the conference that he represents. And then there probably will be a motion to vacate. And at that point, uh, you'd be what if we get down the line a couple weeks from then? Oh, I Look, we, if we do not produce the appropriation bills, okay, what I will tell you, Blake, is I am not going to support a continuing resolution of any sort. Okay. A continuing resolution does nothing more than extend Nancy Pelosi's spending and Nancy Pelosi's policies. We need to deliver the 12 appropriation bills. That's what we told the American people. That's what Kevin assured us we were going to be able to do. And if he puts together a coalition of support that uh, contains more Democrats than it does Republicans, then I think that that speaks volumes about his lack of leadership skills. Do you think a shutdown's inevitable? If, if, if there's a lot of folks like yourself who are opposed to a short-term stopgap, CR is the technical term, but that's just a short-term bill. Uh, you think a, shut, a shutdown's inevitable? I, don't, I won't say that it's inevitable, because we have seen that when it's necessary, you can get things turned around here in a couple of days' time. Uh, But it does take leadership. It does take the effort. Myself, I'm ready to stay here and get the work done, whatever is necessary to produce those 12 appropriation bills. But, Blake, I want to be real clear. Typically, any state legislature, you have all of your appropriation bills together at one time so that you can see the value of them. And then the body gets to debate whether to reduce that spending, increase that spending, and change it on policies. And we have not been able to do that. They haven't done it for several years, and we're demanding that we restore regular order and have that take place here in Congress again, the way that it used to. Congressman Matt Rosendale uh, from Montana. Thank you, sir. Hope you come on back. It'll be an interesting, interesting few weeks. We'll bring you on back. Thanks for having me on, Blake. Yep. You got it, David. I think what you just heard there is part of the challenge for Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, look, I mean, Kevin McCarthy is far from perfect, but he is dealing with a four-seat majority. The Republican Party controls the House of Representatives. They don't control the Senate. They don't control the White House. And what the right flank of his conference wants, we think of them as the House Freedom Caucus, is they want conservative legislation for which there are not the votes. There is not the support as reflected in this, the makeup of the House and Senate in the last election and the makeup of the White House in the election before that. But they are pushing McCarthy and their fellow members to adopt that kind of spending legislation. So the reasons we, one of the reasons why we have not seen the 12 appropriations bills is because you could not get 218 Republicans on board for a, a bill that could pass the House. And and, and, and I don't know how you get around this because the Freedom Caucus, understandably, those members are reflecting their districts and their voters. 
but those voters are a minority. You have a much larger group of pragmatists, not moderates, not centrists, it's the wrong term. They're conservative pragmatists who understand that they need to govern. Many of them are in competitive districts, even if they're Republican-leaning districts. Some of them are in Biden districts. And they're not going to go along for the kind of legislation that that the, the right flank wants. Now, even if you can get this through the House, you've got a Democratic Senate, and you've got a pragmatic Republican yep. senators that are going to say no, and you have Biden with a veto pen. So what is the end game? They Adam, don't have one. Real, real quick, I just asked him, shut down inev- inevitable, yes or no? Well, I think it is for at least a period of time. Yeah. Period of time. If you, is that your gut feeling? Yeah, period of time, at least for now. You play clown games, you get clown prizes. This is, what, <laughs> this is what McCarthy deserves. This is what he wanted, now he's getting it. Yeah. Well, coming up, they were friends, now they are foes. Pretty complicated relationship between the former president and the former vice president. How Mike Pence is walking a tightrope in the GOP presidential race. His town hall on News Nation last night. We'll get into it and what his, his path is among a changing Republican field. Candidate answered a question that hangs over his campaign. Why now run against your old boss? former President Donald Trump, a man that you once stood with. It was part of his answer. Donald Trump, who had a very diverse political background, supported Republicans and Democrats over the course of his life. He promised to govern as a conservative. And many people have told me that when they saw me selected as his vice president, they thought it was evidence of that. And I will tell you, Tammy, um, We did govern as conservatives. But I stand before you today because uh, the former president and, frankly, others in this field are are walking away from many of those principles. I can see the disappointment (laughs) in your your face right now. A terrible answer. Why? Mike Pence is going to be, Mike Pence is one of the nicest men you've ever met. And if he keeps doing that, he's going to be the nicest man ever to come in seventh in Iowa and be out by the time of New Hampshire. I'm so disappointed to see that. Because what he needs to say is, because I'd be a better president than Donald Trump. That's, that's, that, that's what people want to hear. Why do you want to be president? Not some long answer about conservative principles and so forth. Mike, was a, Mike is a, a, a dear man. He really is. He's one of the nicest, truest gentlemen you're ever going to meet. But you've got to have a better answer to that question than that because that's what everybody's asking. What do you make of it that it came on the same day that, you know, Mike Pence last night was sort of jabbing around the edges, right, but not throwing haymakers at Donald Trump on the same day that Mitt Romney, we'll get into that, um, <laughs> on the same day that Mitt Romney, who was the, 2012 nominee for president for the Republicans, basically saying the, the party's passed me. That was an answer of somebody running for vice president, which is something that Mike Pence is never going to do again, right? This is, well, I, I'm okay with Donald Trump. He's sort of this, he's sort of that, but I could do it. You know, I, 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 he's not really conservative enough for me. That's not, if you want to be the president and take on Donald Trump, you have to go at him. And that was a very disappointing answer from my friend. Look, you know, Mike Pence was in a tough position last night in this regard. When you're when you're featured at a town hall meeting, what you know, what you really want to do is talk about what you would do as president and focus on your positive agenda. But he's in this weird place where he's saying the Trump Pence administration did all these wonderful right. things. So why are you running against the guy at the top of the ticket? And that's where he didn't come in and say, well, because 
and say some of the things that he has actually often been saying throughout this campaign, the reasons why he believes the former president's unfit. You're not going to convince Republican primary voters that Donald Trump is not conservative enough for them. Okay. So you're going to have to give them a different compelling reason to, right, so to leave him. He's what attacking a, what a, Vivek Ramaswamy more than he's attacking Donald yeah, Trump. There, there, Donald, Trump a, Donald Trump tried to kill him. Like, if yeah. someone tried to kill you, wouldn't you be a little afraid of attacking him no, on national no, TV? No, I'd be pushing back. Well, I'd be pushing back. I think at the same time, he's afraid of Donald Trump's base, which yeah. at one time was his base. And we're not seeing a lot of these other Republican candidates. I mean, Ron DeSantis to a certain extent, but I would argue he could probably go harder against Donald Trump. None yeah. of them are punching hard uh, he's harder against, against Mickey Mouse. Than he is against yeah. Trump. What do you make of this headline? Uh, Trump to ramp up Iowa campaign schedule in the coming weeks. There's been a bit of, a, been a bit of criticism that Donald Trump isn't running as hard in in the 2024 race as he did back in 2016. Uh, there's been some criticism in Iowa. Hey, get here. And now he's going to be there several times. He's going to be there. And you're seeing DeSantis. I wouldn't say he's gaining traction as in he's the front runner in Iowa. But DeSantis's team have put a lot of stock in Iowa. He spent a lot of time there. He's doing the full Grassley uh, tour of all 99 counties, yeah. counties. So I think Donald Trump wants to, as soon as he can, see Ron put the nail in Ron DeSantis's political <laughs> coffin. Right. Um, but I mean, look, Look, uh, Iowa's a state he lost in 2016. I don't think he'd necessarily want to lose it again, even though I don't think it's essential for him to get the nomination. He better spend a lot of time in Iowa now because his calendar is going to be a little full next year. You're talking about the upcoming trials. Caucuses are January 15th, so he'll, he'll have time after that. There you go. <laughs> Maybe time between now and then. All right, a look ahead tonight uh, to later this evening. The former Secret Service agent Paul Landis, we talked about this the other day, was feet away from President John F. Kennedy when he was assassinated. He is now casting doubt on the magic bullet theory 59 years later. Tonight, 6 o'clock Eastern, here in about seven minutes' time, you can catch Elizabeth Vargas' interview with Paul Landis. Shocking new revelations on Elizabeth Vargas reports right here after The Hill on News Nation. And coming up, normally, she gets quotes from the left and the right. Well, last night, she was throwing the left and the right. Why, Kelly Meyer stepped into the ring. Jeez. What a beast. Oh. What a beast. Oh. Uh. More than a month since Rachel Morin's brutal murder with her killer still at large. Tonight, Dan Abrams talks with her family's attorney on their fight for justice. Why they're turning to the internet in hopes of a new lead. Tonight on Dan Abrams Live. All right, welcome back. Now, while we were on air last night, of course, debate here on News Nation. Last night, some of our friends of the show climbed into the boxing ring. Look at this. News Nation correspondent Kelly Meyer put on her gloves. There she is to raise money for cancer research. This was the Haymakers for Hope event here in Washington. Uh, down at the Anthem, big, big event space here in D.C. Proceeds, proceeds raised over the course of 16 fights last night, more than 750,000 dollars. Look at Kelly going. Oh. Michael, by the way, uh, was there taking part in in one of the matches? Julia was there watching, rooting on Michael <laughs> and Kelly. There you are, Michael. There's me. But seven hundred fifty grand yeah. for this. Tell me real quick about it. This was, I mean, I think this was a great effort. Uh, we all did it to acknowledge uh, people in our family or individuals who have suffered for cancer. My grandfather died, so I fought in his honor. Uh, and I think it was just one of those things where we all came together, uh, really 
suffered together and did something to help out the community, and it was a lot of fun. I don't know. Really, you were there. Didn't, but we didn't even know about this. No <laughs> you didn't get the invite. Oh, it was all the cool kids. Is there an age limit thing on this? Is no, that no, no. I don't think. I think that's the other debate. I think you can come up. Come on, let's do it. But seven hundred fifty grand. Good on Kelly. Good on Michael. Sixteen fights last night. Look at Kelly go. Raise a lot of money. Look at her go. What a baller. Sweetest girl you've ever met. She is so nice. If you've never met Kelly, she is so nice. But she throws a mean left hook. Gotta leave it there. Thanks for watching us for here on The Hill on News Nation. We'll be back tomorrow. Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. One hundred fifty thousand auto union workers are ready to launch an historic strike against all three big car makers, and the impact could be felt coast to coast. The clock is ticking on a midnight deadline to reach a new contract for the automakers. Is a last-minute deal possible? We'll have the latest on the tense negotiations.